Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Remember to subscribe to our free podcast so you won't miss any of our illuminating content. Here is episode 229. Somebody started talking about, are you filling your kid's mind like you're filling a bucket or are you lighting a fire? Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. If you're ready to set your mind on fire, then prepare yourself for the Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Davis Carmen. Davis got started on his homeschooling adventure with a providential 2x4 on the side of the head. 22 years, 7 kids, and 5 graduates later, he hopes to share some of the lessons he learned along the way to help other families enjoy the most successful, satisfying, and Christ-centered homeschool possible. He is the president of Apologia Educational Ministries, the number one publisher of creation-based science and Bible curriculum. He is also an international speaker and advocate for home education, founding board member of Homeschool Now USA, and the author of five illustrated children's books. He blogs at daviscarman.com and believes that if there is ever a time to homeschool, it is now. Welcome, Davis. Well, hello. Good to be with you, Rebecca. <laughs> I'm so excited to learn more about your online platform, Apologia. But before we get into all of that, can you please tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. I am the president of Apologia, but i got a family that uh, is a, a big part of the passion in, in my life. My wife, Rachel, of 31 years, and we have seven children, ranging in age from 27 down to 14. Wow. I always like to say we have two boys on the front end, two boys on the back end, and three girls tucked safely in the middle. <laughs> so right now, got those big brothers right now, to help them. Has, <laughs> that's right. Right now our, our oldest has our two grandchildren, a little two-year-old girl and a newborn boy. So the karma name lives on, That's and cool. my second son just recently got married, and they're uh, happily in their honeymoon right, honeymoon stage right now. And I got three girls who are all in college at the moment. So if you want to pray for me, that would be a good thing. <laughs> and then uh, we're, the, the house is getting quieter with two teenage boys at the house when we used to have, you know, a house full of nine of us with a constant hustle and bustle, but. Uh, that's what uh, what we look like right now as a family, and we're uh, enjoying you know, life together, homeschooling together, and a lot of other adventures. Yeah, 31 years. That is so awesome. <laughs> so what other passions or hobbies do you have that you'd like to tell us about? Well, you know, one of, one of my biggest passions is homeschooling, and I'll share more about that as we continue the conversation. But I'm a pretty simple guy, you know. When it comes to hobbies, I really like working in the yard. My wife is the same way. She likes pulling the weeds. I like planting the plants uh, and maintaining things. So I, I just love, to, uh, I look forward to my Friday afternoons and Saturdays to get out in the yard, work out in, in, our, in our small but, but nice place. Um, and then a, a big part of that after working is just sitting down and relaxing, reading, thinking. I love thinking and planning about uh, the future. Uh, that's just one of the things I'm wired for. And then uh, specific things I love to do, Rachel and I have a happy place called Hilton Head Island, and we love to frequently get down there and just sit under an umbrella, relax and read and have some good conversations and ride our bikes to and from and all around the paths that they have there. So that's that's my simple way of 
you know, stepping away from things every once in a while. That's awesome. Is that on the, a beach on North, uh, North Carolina or in North Carolina? Hilton Head is actually the southernmost tip of South Carolina. Oh, cool. Awesome. Okay, that's great. I have family in South Carolina, so that's exciting. Beautiful place, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. And we, we talked about Apologia Educational Ministries. Can you give me maybe some background to how you got led to this life and this message of starting Apologia Educational Ministries? Tell me more about that. Sure. Yeah, so I'm, I'm a mechanical engineer by education. I got a master's degree in mechanical engineering, and the first 10 years of my career, I worked in the aerospace and um, automotive industries. And then I got a, a, an MBA, and I ran a plastic manufacturing company for two owners for 10 years, and that was a great run. And then God decided I needed to be pruned for a couple years. <laughs> and so that company was sold, and I found myself for the first time without gainful employment, but I felt like God had really prepared me to be the steward of a company at that point. So I started looking to buy a business. And I looked at construction companies, manufacturing companies, franchises, things like that, and worked my network. Uh, and this was back in 2006 when the economy was good. So I was feeling good about where I was and what this process might look like. But after about three or four months, I was running into some dead ends. And I was meeting with some good friends, and they asked you know, how the job search was coming along, and I told them. And they said, well, Davis, what are you passionate about? And I said, well, I'm, I'm passionate about homeschooling. I just don't know how to make a living doing that. And they said, well, why don't you buy a homeschooling company? And it's like a light bulb turned on. And I was like, oh, that is where my passion is. That is where my volunteer work is. Uh, I know the players. I know the market. I, I love what's happening there. And so I did some you know, market research picked three companies that I thought might be good fix, uh, fits and called them out of the blue and asked if they had ever thought about selling their business. Apologia was one of them, and we, he was ready to sell, uh, and so it was just a perfect fit. However, Apologia published creation-based science then and still does, and so when I went to banks to find some financing to close the deal, that's where I had to persevere and where my character was built as I had to uh, take no many times from banks that didn't want to touch something that looked too religious to them. And eventually I found a bank that was willing to help us put the, the package together, and we finally acquired the, the company in 2008. And the last 10 years has just been an amazing ride where God has opened the floodgates, closed the floodgates, and just uh, allowed us to build a really good team and just really enjoy the work as we're helping serve homeschoolers. That's awesome. Well, and on his, the things that I know about him, he started homeschooling in, or they started homeschooling in 1996, correct? So that's like 12 years before you bought Apologia. Is that right? Right. We started homeschooling in 1996. So we were 12 years into it. And uh, I had already been serving on the board of North Carolina's state organization, uh, from 2002, so I was I was well involved, you know, serving and leading within the the state of North Carolina for homeschoolers, and so I knew I knew who the publishers were, I knew who the vendors were, conference organizers, state leaders, and all that. So I had a real good network, and it was a network of people I loved working with. And of course, the last 10 years, I've been able to work with them in a bigger way and in a professional way with lots of skin in the game. Well, that's great. And I'd love to hear more about your educational advocacy. I mean, you're talking about being on, on the board and stuff, but what really drove you to do, you know, advocacy for home education? 
Well, a lot of it began with just when I put my dad hat on as a homeschool dad. And I said, what are ways that I can actually help support my wife and my kids in this homeschooling journey? So I was already uh, really excited about how I saw homeschooling shaping our marriage, our family, and the education of the kids. So I just naturally wanted to take some kind of additional role. And I was, as a lot of men do, we try to figure out what did that look like. And, and for me, it meant taking on a leadership role in a state organization. So as I did that with NCHE, which stands for North Carolinians for Home Education, I served with them from 2002 to 2014. And a big part of what we were doing was we were helping to protect the right to homeschooling in our state. We were promoting homeschooling as a means of you know, a, a good educational option. And then we were supporting homeschooling uh, primarily through a, an annual conference. And so... I was constantly involved in one or three of, or all three of those activities. And as I continued to do that, then, of course, we eventually acquired Apology in 2008. And then I became involved in other ways. Um, and so that's what prompted me uh, with uh, several other folks to start a brand-new organization, and that's called Homeschool Now USA. So I'm a, a charter board member. We started in January of 2015. And what I really like about that organization is we are singularly focused to help homeschooling grow in the United States faster than it already is on its own. So it's got a lot of good momentum, but we want to help the folks that are on the fence that see it as a viable option but are nervous about getting over the hump or they're struggling to make that paradigm shift to think differently and a lot of what homeschooling is is just thinking out of the box in ways that seem scary and and way outside of our comfort zone and you don't really know all the right questions to ask and then once you're finally walking down that path a little bit you go you have these aha moments of oh now i see why this is different and how this can be better for my family and how it, how we can really customize it to our kids and so a lot of doors get opened and ideas get opened and the mind gets stretched in ways that uh, really help families. And so that's part of what I'm doing to help promote and advocate for homeschooling. That's awesome. Well, you know, I, I heard a, a Cato interview recently where a guy talked about that homeschoolers, they lead with the fact they homeschool. You know, that they're usually really excited about it. They identify themselves as homeschoolers first. I think it's awesome when we see people that have been in the trenches doing it want to help support it and grow the movement because you know like you said it takes quite a different paradigm shift and you know those types of things i think it's neat you homeschooled for 12 years before you acquired apologia and then you have you've had that for 10 so what that's 22 years that you have of right. experience with this and the love that you have for i think that's just great and it's great to see a person that really comes out and helps the movement grow because like you said i mean it takes some talking and, and stuff about that's what we're all about here at the luminous mind is really trying to change that paradigm for people so that it doesn't seem weird or out of the norm or anything like that for sure that's great well that's right well and real quick you know it's sure. growing internationally as well so even though I'm currently really active in the U.S. The international movement is about where the American movement was 30 years ago, so they're just in their infancy. Yeah. And so another way that Rachel and I are really trying to help homeschooling worldwide is in the international movement. And so we've already been to seven. We're about to be to eight countries. We're going to Russia this May oh, cool. uh, of 2018 
to be at a homeschool conference, a global home education conference, where they're expecting a thousand or more people as each of these countries are figuring out what laws they need to set up and how it looks like culturally, because in some countries the church is very supportive and some it's not. In some the government's supportive, and the go- or the, in some countries the government's not supportive at all and possibly says it's illegal. And um. so we're going to those countries to speak, encourage, and to provide uh, actual practical ideas based on our experience in the U.S. to, to help them you know, in their individual countries to make homeschooling viable. Oh, that's so neat. That was one shock that I had, too, is that I actually have quite a, a large national, international audience that, you know, and it does surprise you when you see downloads from like Germany or some of those places where all of a sudden you're going, wait, isn't that illegal there? But you have you do have people that are interested, people in China, people in, you know, like you said, in Russia and stuff. So what part of Russia are you going to? By, by we'll actually be We'll be in three different places, St. Petersburg, Moscow, and a, a small town called Vyborg. That's awesome. Uh, and it's interesting you mentioned Germany, because last year one of the countries we were at was Germany. And uh, I loved telling people that we were going to speak about homeschooling in Germany, because most people realize and understand the truth that it's actually illegal in Germany. But the, the twist is we were actually speaking, or my wife was doing most of the speaking, at a uh, U.S. military base where it is legal. That's awesome. And so that's how we were actually able to make that happen. Yeah. Well, I have a son in St. Petersburg on a humanitarian uh, mission, so I'm excited to see that grow. <laughs> that's going to be neat, especially wow. with all their with all of their challenges that they have with their religious uh, regulations, government <laughs> regulations for sure. So, well, I'd love to hear maybe some challenges that you had along the way to starting your community and and what you feel like you've learned from that. Um, for all these years. I mean, we've got 22 years uh, under your belt. What are those challenges that you have and you learn for that? Well, it, in 22 years, a lot has changed within homeschooling. The demographics have changed. The population has grown. Uh, it's become more diverse in a lot of ways. And, and specifically in terms of how the community gets together, when Rachel and I first started homeschooling, at the end of that first year, we went, to, which was the worst homeschool year of our 22 years. <laughs> we were reluctant homeschoolers. I like to say we got started with a two-by-four over the head. <laughs> uh, but at the end of that first year, we went to a homeschool conference. And somebody started talking about, are you filling your kid's mind like you're filling a bucket, or are you lighting a fire? And, and it was a light bulb that turned on for Rachel and I, where we just drove home after that weekend just thinking about how homeschooling could change everything if we could wipe the slate clean and start all over again. And so that second year we did. It looked very different. It was better. By the third year we were writing educational philosophies. And so, uh, but the point is, a homeschool conference is where we really got fired up. And for many years, that's where the homeschool community met. You'd have five, six, seven, eight thousand people meeting in all across the country in different markets and there was a buzz and an energy. Well, in the last 10, 10 years, there's been, you know, for everybody, uh, a move towards more online type of gatherings. And so our online academy has been growing. Our online events have been growing. Social media uh, has been growing like crazy. Uh, and the live events at conferences like what used to happen seem to be experiencing a downward trend. And so that's definitely been a challenge to 
you know, to meet with the homeschool community, because meeting face-to-face is, is beautiful, and online is wonderful, but it's not face-to-face. And so uh, Apology and a lot of other companies are trying to figure out how to best serve the homeschool family uh, in a practical way. And on, online is very efficient. It's very practical. It's very immediate, low cost, and all that. But And even though there's a good relational bit to it, it's not the same that happens when you look at a person's eyes, when you shake their hand, when you give them a hug, when you pray with them, you know, right next to each other. And so that's one of the challenges that we're trying to figure out how to best serve the homeschool family in an online kind of a setting versus, you know, face-to-face. Yeah. Well, and I think the online thing is great for immediate questions or for, you know, I mean, like you said, to just continue that relationship that you already developed. But I think we still need the the conference that we sit down next to each other, like you said, and, and get to know each other. I know that I've done better when I've done a face-to-face and then I meet with somebody online because I know who they are. And I'm kind of old, so maybe, maybe I, I still like that too. But I think they could definitely be meshed. And that is a challenge that we have, but I think it's just such a wonderful thing. Like when you're online, you're on social media or whatever, you find so many people that are doing this that it does help you feel like that there's a connection there. But you say that Apologia has an active online group. How do you do the face-to-face interactions? Well, we still go to live conferences. So, you know, uh, Rachel and I have been to many conferences this year with several more left to go, and we're planning on being at some next year. So they're still very much a part of what happens, uh, but just not to the degree that they used to be when, when it was really the only option. Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. And we just have so many opportunities now. And I think it's a great, how we can mesh those two together is a great thing to think over. I'd love to hear how you feel like your paradigms changed. Um, you talked about that first year, you know, when you were first starting and how it went from filling a bucket to lighting a fire. You know, how has that changed in, in, into now? What are you thinking about homeschooling and some of those types of things? Right. Well, Rachel and I were never had homeschooling on our radar screen. And by the grace of God, we had a bad experience the first week, uh, actually the first two days, when our son went to a public school. And so by the second Friday, he only spent two weeks there, I took him out, and uh, we didn't know what we were doing Monday. We got, uh, you know, signed up on all the waiting lists for the private schools in town, and called the three people in the world that we knew who homeschooled and just started asking people, you know, asking them, what, what do we do? And, you know, they told us, hey, just relax, just read to them. And we're saying, okay, that's, that's great, but what do we really do? And they said, you know, seriously, just relax and read. Well, that just didn't seem nearly the right answer. So, like I said, that first year was rocky. It was... Um, miserable, lots of crying, and what we were doing is we were bringing our um, educational experience. I went to public school, Rachel went to private. We both brought our, that experience and tried to make it work at home, and that doesn't work. That, that's why most people are overwhelmed at the thought of homeschooling, because they think they think they got to bring a public or private school experience home, and that does sound daunting and impossible. And so that first year was horrible. We went to a conference at the end of the first year, and that's when the light bulb turned on. And so when we did the second year, we started asking questions like, what do we really want to accomplish 
with our school, with our kids, with the relationships, with the learning. And we listened to, to more workshops, went to more conferences, and as our paradigm slowly but surely shifted, there were several things that we realized, and one of the most notable is that relationships can and probably should be a higher priority than academics. And for me, with a master's degree and a straight-A student, that was a big change of, in a way of thinking, because uh, academics were very important, and I, and I you know, judged myself and graded myself on how well I did in school, and so I thought the same thing had to happen with my kids, and yet I love my kids and family, and I wanted the best for them, and so I really started prioritizing relationships. So one of the best ways I can think of to illustrate this is when the kids are sitting down at the kitchen table and they're, um, you know, suddenly a, a fight breaks out over whose pencil this is. A, a typical answer might be stop the fighting and get back to your schoolwork. But with, with this new idea of relationships being first, we, Rachel and I started saying, stop the schoolwork, let's work on the relationship. And, and that, was, that just opened up a whole new yeah. world of what our kids saw as important. That is neat. I love that idea because I've done the opposite so many times, you know, because like you said, you, you grew up in a, a time where the schoolwork took precedence over everything. And, and how do you feel like that changed those relationships within your family? Oh, well, that, that's been what's been so wonderful. Now that I have five of my oldest kids have graduated from our homeschool, Two have graduated from college and one graduates later this year, and we got two at home. They love being together, and so we're not all together right now. And so, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we went and saw our oldest kid and grandkids. Uh, a couple weeks from now we're going to see our, our other married kid. We're all getting together late May uh, as we begin the summer with the kids that will be home. And so we're in a lot of different places, but everybody loves to be together. They're talking to each other on the phone. We're constantly calling and staying in touch. And so they are their best friends. When my oldest son got married, who was his best man? My second son. And you know, without actually being able to give the speech, I love telling people that I've been to a lot of weddings, but the best, best man speech I ever heard was when my second son gave his best man speech for my oldest because they had been through so many things together. They hung out together. They had shared experiences together. And as he recounted their relationship, I could actually relate to it, because I was fully aware of the vast majority of what he was talking about. And it was just beautiful and satisfying to see how important their relationship was, uh, as well as, you know, all the academic accomplishments that they may or may not have you know, had to that point. But relationships being moved way up to the very top of our school goals has been a big paradigm shift for us. That's awesome. Well, I'd love to hear, um, before we get into Apologia Ministries and talking about that kind of thing, keep on the same line of relationships, but you've been married 31 years. And like I said, a lot of homeschoolers, that is their first and foremost title. I've heard this complaint before from people that a lot of times their marriage may suffer because it is such a an important part of their life. Do you know what I mean? Like they put that homeschooling thing first. Do you have any maybe advice that you'd give people who 
who want to have these fabulous relationships, of course, we want to cultivate that within our with our children. But how do you cultivate that marriage relationship, especially when you have a wife that's kind of burnt out being with kids all day and, you know, the husband that may not understand the house isn't always clean. You know what I mean? Some of those challenges. (laughs) Right. You got real life happening. And I I always like to say that our house is well lived in. I mean, (laughs) we're here all the time. I work out of a home office. We homeschool. I mean, there's a lot of activity in this, you know, brick and mortar. But on the relationships, there's a, whole, there's a lot of relationships that are in play. Uh, and so it's not just in practice, it's things we verbalize with our kids as part of the, what I call Deuteronomy 6 moments through the course of the day. You know, as we're sitting, as we're walking, as we're getting up and lying down, we're talking to the kids about how's your relationship with God, because that's the most important relationship. And then we're having conversations with them about how are we doing, you know, with, with mom and dad. And so their relationship with Rachel and I. And then, you know, the kids have their sibling squabbles, so we're talking about, hey, how are you and your other sibling? Are you guys, you know, good with this situation that happened? And so there's constant talk about how are those relationships happening uh, in this whole network at our, at our home. And so, and then, you know, we're talking about, you know, our neighbors. We've got some neighbors that we've ha- had, have had some needs that we've helped serve, and vice versa. There's been times where they helped us through some stuff. So, all of those relationships, uh, you know, it's not just a, a one thing. And so on the marriage, a key one there is Rachel and I have a weekly date on the calendar. Now, it doesn't always happen because sometimes I might be traveling and she might be home or just how the week looks. But it's a standing date, and it happens most of the time, and our kids know it. And so they see that our marriage is a priority. We're going to spend time to get away to you know, just go to dinner together, to stop and breathe and talk and catch up and maybe do some planning or where are we at with the kids and the family and the school and you know what's coming up next week and the week after. Uh, but at the same time, we have a standing day once a week with our kids. We, we call it pizza movie night, typically Friday or Saturday. But we are having pizza one day a week. We don't have it on Monday. We don't have it Tuesday. It's Friday or Saturday in our family. And the kids know that that's coming, too, where we're going to give them some undivided attention. Sometimes we play games. Sometimes we watch a movie. Sometimes we go to a park. But we're doing something together as a family. And, again, just building intentionally into each of those different relationships. Well, and I love how, I mean, you've really embraced the whole relationship idea. I think if we can change our paradigm to think more about those relationships, the education is going to come. It's going to be more joyful for sure. He was a a great person to have on the podcast where he gave back his answers to me, but he talked about how it's changed. You know, homeschooling has changed everything about their lives, their marriage, their parenting, and, you know, what their children have learned. And just having a lot of skin in the game, it seems like it just really opened your eyes. Is there anything more that you want to talk about with that paradigm change in kind of going from the beginning to what it is now? Uh, Well, you know, relationships is important. And like you said, it makes learning a lot more fun, a lot more enjoyable. And I would much rather have my kids become lifelong learners that love the learning process, that love reading, as opposed to people that hated school, Mm -hmm. couldn't wait to get out of the home. Uh, and, and so right now, looking, we're, we're sending most of our kids out now. Five of the seven have left the nest. 
And so we're beginning to see a picture of what have we created here. And so far, it's, it's very satisfying because yeah. the kids enjoy being together. The kids enjoy being at home. They're calling us for advice and counsel and just you know, have, being friends. And, and, and we see them making good life decisions and enjoying their continued education. And so, uh, and a lot of that, I think, was because they weren't, we weren't pounding the books. We were studying. We were doing academics. You know, five of my kids are in college. So they are able to do the work of higher education, but even that isn't their their end goal. They want to be lifelong learners. Yeah, I love how you've put your priorities straight and that's followed through with how your children are, you know, where they're at in their lives now. Before we go on, please listen to this message. If you enjoy this content, you can help us with as little or as much as you'd like over at patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind. These funds help us to continue to produce illuminating content with needed equipment and resources to spread the message of changing the educational paradigm. We appreciate all the ways our listeners help us continue this effort through patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind by expanding exclusive content, giving away gifts, and giving patrons first seen products on patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind. Davis Carmen, owner of Apologia Curriculum, learn, live, and defend the Christian faith. Let's learn about Apologia Educational Ministries. You know, you said you purchased this back in 2008. So you purchased it back That's in 2008. Right. How has it changed? Give me three key points, maybe about your message, maybe how it's changed or how it's stayed the same. Well, sure. The um, the mission of the company is, is certainly what drives why we're doing everything, and that is to help homeschooling families learn, live, and defend the faith. And so we help them learn by providing curriculum. And we, we've we won over 70 number one awards uh, over 10 years in a row, so we claim, rightly, that we're the number one publisher of creation-based science and Bible curriculum. So that's, a, that's something we we communicate and we tell people about to give them the confidence that apology is a good choice. Uh, we, we love to help them live the homeschool lifestyle, and a lot of that happens on our blog, where there's devotionals and articles about the homeschool lifestyle and what that looks like. Um, but then what's driving our business plan is we're developing new products right now, and it's based on this. It's based on the fact that we believe every subject, and I mean every single subject, can and should be taught from a biblical worldview. So our science is creation-based science. Our Bible is obviously based on the Bible. Um, Our language arts curriculum that's out is based on the fact that God invented language. I mean, at the Tower of Babel, that's when all the languages started. And so God is very active and involved in language arts, reading, writing, his written word. So you can't make it religiously neutral. I mean, you can, but we don't believe it should be religiously neutral. 
And then math curriculum that we plan to develop uh, that's in the works and coming out to be announced you know, at a later date is not, is, uh, is not religiously neutral. It's got God at the center of that. And then our history curriculum that we're developing is the same. God is the author of all of history from the beginning. He know, he's written what the end will look like and how to live in this intermediate time. And so as we learn about history, we should be learning about how has God sovereignly been involved and intervening in the affairs of men. And when we, when we have that perspective on the education, it's much more rich and beautiful and has meaning and purpose where you can fall in love with a given subject and become a master in a given field. Yeah, I mean, once again, we talk about those relationships, and a lot of times we want to throw out that most special relationship that we have with God. I told him that my daughter, uh, she, we did a homeschooling co-op, and they suggested that all the children get the Science Apologia textbook, and she has loved that book. I mean, she's read it well after. She's only 13, but it was a college prep class that she felt like she was ready for. So I'm like, okay, whatever. But anyway, but she has continued to read that book. Um, and like you said, it does develop a relationship within that to to our maker. We're able to talk about that. That's one of the great things about homeschooling. Um, do you feel like I've heard some people before when we've talked about homeschooling being kind of the religious right or whatever, do you feel like um, that... I mean, I think that's really important that we put our teachings and stuff in that, but we're we're not just seeing that it being like a, a battering stick for people, right? I mean, you're helping to develop that relationship. Do you have more to say about that relationship that we have with God versus using it as a battering stick against? Do you do you know what I mean about that? Uh, right. Yeah, and and that's where, for instance, our our biology, our chemistry book, or a physics book, it's it's a chemistry book, but it's written from the view that God created chemistry and life and physics. And so it's not, it's not a Bible book about chemistry. It's a chemistry book that includes God as the creator. Okay. So it, it's, it's from that worldview. You know, uh, an atheistic biology book is about biology, but from an evolution Darwinian you know, viewpoint. And so we, you know, everybody's coming from some kind of perspective. Yeah. Apologia happens to come from a creation-based, God-centered, Christ-focused type of uh, uh, perspective, and that's why we believe every subject should have that perspective in it. Um, it's not going to be for everybody. There's going to be you know, schools that wouldn't accept our curriculum, um, but we're not writing for them. We, we want to write something that we believe would be uh, richer and more comprehensive in terms of the, the truth of how this world looks like and history and language and math and, and science and all. And so that's just, you know, that's the market we serve and that's the type of curriculum we're providing. Well, and you're being honest. Um, like you said, I, I love that, that you, you put out, there's a theology behind every type of curriculum that's out there. And whether right. they're honest about it or not, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing that makes you most sickening. That theology, the Darwinian theology is in there just as much as um, anything else, but they sometimes they aren't honest about it. And, and then, in fact, it um, creates this feeling that when you're honest about what's your curriculum, you know, the driving force behind it, that that maybe it comes across in a way that people aren't as receptive to receive, for sure. So, 
Anyway, sorry, threw that one in there, Roger. But I'd love to hear more about what you'd find in your blogs and your children's books. Maybe if you're looking through Apologia stuff, we already talked about that it has a religious Christian faith base. But I'd love to hear more about that, of what you can find there. Right. So we have a a blog at homeschool-101.com, and it's primarily to help on the part of our mission to help uh, the living this homeschool lifestyle. And so our articles talk about homeschooling, practical activities you can do with your kids, encouragement for the mom, and just, you know, what, does the, what can the lifestyle look like to create these visions and ideas of success for folks? Uh, but we also have devotionals on that side uh, because we want to encourage, you know, living the Christian faith as well. And so all that wrapped together just ties directly into our mission. We're doing everything to fulfill our mission because that's driving why we're doing everything. Um, but we also have children's books. So we have the K through 12 uh, in the core subjects. Uh, but then we're also providing some practical resources such as a planner for mom and uh, you know, encouragement books. And on the children's side, that's where I personally have written several books. So I've written five illustrated books for preschoolers. And they're all designed to instill a biblical worldview in these young kids. Um, so you know, when they're young, they're, they're not thinking as abstractly yet. And so they love books that are highly illustrated and beautiful and engaging that way with lots of simple sentences and repetition in them. And that, that, that's part of how they learn well. And as a teacher or a parent, in many ways you're teaching them what to think so that later they can start asking, when they really start asking the questions why, you can start training why we believe certain things. Uh, but this is where you know, young kids are, they're like sponges. They can take in so much. And so uh, the books that I have are based on a scripture somewhere. So one of them is titled Good Morning God. And it's about a little five-year-old boy as he goes through his week. It's based on Deuteronomy 6, so he's learning how, what, what does it look like to fall in love with God and to love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I got another one called In the Beginning, based on the Genesis account of creation. Uh, and then uh, there's one called um, A Life for My Path, based on Psalm 119, and it's an ABC book. And it's got some cute uh, little uh, hidden pictures in there uh, that takes the kids through the alphabet. They learn their uppercase, their lowercase, and they even learn the Hebrew alphabet because in the back it has Psalm 119, which is an acrostic based on the Hebrew uh, alphabet. And so it's, it's a good alphabet book. The last two books that have come out uh, are, have been illustrated by my son, who's an artist, and the first one is called Psalms to Know Early. So it's obviously based on Psalms. When there's some select Psalms that uh, most of us are even aware of, but we may not know which Psalm is it. We just know it's one of the Psalms. And so this is a way to help instill uh, those Psalms uh, at an early age to these young kids. And then the latest one that's coming out sometime in 2018, the date, the exact month still to be determined, is called Truths to Know Early. And it's 34 essential truths that the young kids, that all of us need to know. And it takes them through the progression uh, in a logical way, a beautifully illustrated way. Uh, that um, The goal is that it'll answer a lot of the issues and solve a lot of the issues that the Barna research has found where people just literally don't have a biblical worldview because they don't believe most of these truths. 
So that's what we're doing on the children's uh, side of things, and I'm really enjoying that. In a lot of ways, I feel like it's part of my ultimate legacy to my kids and grandkids uh, and to obviously other families, but to help create some books that make normal what is, you know, is, is not in as great a supply these days as the culture's changing and becoming more worldly and such. Yeah, well, uh, that's sad that I feel like now a lot of those traditional values that we had, I mean, they are illuminating thoughts. You know, there's they're something mm-hmm. different than than what we're getting anymore. So I love that, and I love too. Um, like I said, the curriculum prioritizes relationships um, higher than academics, and then it it teaches children a love of learning, which I think is great. Um, there's a lot of flexibility in your curriculum as well, isn't there? Like. Right. A lot of the philosophy is that children need to be reading at a really young age. What, what's your philosophy on that? Uh, this is definitely where I have been. I was set free once upon a time, and I would love to set some of your listeners free. I always like to say, when does a kid typically sit? And most of us would answer oh, around six months, you know, some a little early, some a little later. When does a kid walk? Uh, typically around one year. Some walk at nine months, some walk at 15, but they're all roughly one year. When does a kid read? Most people will say five or six years old. The actual answer is eight years plus or minus three. And so, yes, some kids do read at five. And there are even some that read at 11. But it's not because they're a late reader. It's because all those kids from five to eight to 11, they read when they were ready. Just like the kid that, that walks, he walks when he's ready. And so our first child, quote unquote, struggled to read because he didn't read when he was five or six. We thought we weren't teaching him right. The problem is he just wasn't ready. And he didn't, uh, he read, the first book he ever read was Mike Mulligan and the Steam Shovel when he was 10 years old. Uh-huh. Rachel and I were sure he wasn't reading just to prove we couldn't homeschool. <laughs> <laughs> and that wasn't what was happening. He just, he just wasn't ready. Well, he's the kid that's getting his master's degree later this month, wow. and, he, and he's going to continue his education. He's more than caught up for any books he didn't read before that time. And that's the same with any kid, I believe. If, they, if, if a parent will just relax and realize that most kids don't read till they're eight, plus or minus three, that will save a lot of tears, and it will help instill a greater love of reading, which is one of the primary ways any of us learn. And so it has a direct connection to our education. And so with seven kids, we were bound to have another kid that didn't read till they were later, and we did. And we were much more relaxed at that time. We weren't losing any sleep about it because we'd been down this path before. And when she finally read, she loved it. We rejoiced with her, and she's in college right now, doing fine because she wasn't labeled as a late reader any more than my kid that read at six was labeled an early reader. They all just read when they were ready. And I think that's an understanding that can help any parent with a kid, who, because we all care about our kid's education, and we know that learning is one of the keys 
to how well they'll learn in life. Yeah, the emotional scars that could be avoided just by getting rid of that one paradigm of that all kids mm-hmm. need to be reading at five or six. It'd make the parent feel better. It'd make the child feel better. And like you said, it would create a love of learning because what you can do sometimes is really scar them to the fact that they never want to do it again and then they hate it. So I, I love that. What's some feedback that you're getting about your message and how are you helping people be successful in homeschooling their kids? Well, people love Apologia because the textbook acts as the teacher. So often a parent will be very intimidated by teaching high school, especially a subject they're not very familiar with, like chemistry or physics or some some class that they, they just didn't do well themselves in. With, with Apologia's textbook, the teacher acts as, I mean, the textbook acts as the teacher. So you don't have to be the expert. The textbook is the expert. And it's written in a conversational style, so the student feels like this book is talking to them. They're becoming an independent learner, and so all that works together to help a child actually have some success in these upper-level courses. Well, we have the same kind of educational philosophy in our K-6 books, where it's conversational, it's written to the student, and it's designed uh, with the idea that more than likely mom's sitting on a couch with two or three kids snuggling around her and they're bonding and enjoying you know a, a relationship because it's reading time and now they're reading math or their bible or their worldview or they're reading a writing curriculum but they're doing it as a group and they all have their workbooks that are you know where they do their work at their own pace and ability but it's literature based in so many ways and so the 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 kids are experiencing a love of learning that helps mom enjoy what she's doing and it all you know just sort of works together that way yeah well we're going to move into mentoring other people but i think that goes really great where you talk about the textbook acting as the teacher because i think um that's another paradigm shift that we need to get over is that you don't have to be the smartest mom in the world to homeschool and to do a really great job in fact Many times having um, too high of a knowledge, you know, too too much of a, an ability can sometimes be a, um, a something that can hold your student back, right? I mean, if, if your student knows that you're all learning together and that the expert is the book, I think, I mean, and what's your feelings about that, I guess, <laughs> as far as mentoring other moms and how they might feel about being a homeschooling mom or the dad, I should say? Yeah, I mean, Rachel and I have, have talked with many moms and dads about their homeschooling journey, some, you know, with panic in their eyes and lots of stress, and others just, you know, needing that extra nudge, that extra, just a little bit of extra encouragement. And, you know, here's, here's what I've found through the years. One, everybody's asking the same questions. So m- most people probably don't have a new question or a question that hasn't been asked before. So that should help you realize you're not alone, you're, you're sane, you're not crazy, <laughs> you're thinking right, you're, you're asking the right questions. And you might be even but, being led, right, by the right, Spirit to right. do this, for sure. That, so. That's right. And so, so there is literally a frequently asked questions list among homeschoolers. Uh, we're, we find the same thing internationally, which is, was an interesting, eye-opening experience. They're asking the same exact <laughs> questions, too. And so, uh, and it's questions like, am I qualified to do this? Um, you know, how, what, how do I, what do I do about high school? Will my kids get into college? Will they get a job? 
you know, am I ruining them? And so all these kind of self-doubt questions. But here's at least one thing I've observed. Every family is different. Every mom is different. Every dad is different. They've got different personalities. They've got different skills and abilities and different backgrounds and experiences. But when we are all led by the Holy Spirit, it's amazing what beautiful, creative, imaginative, and wonderful things can happen. Uh, but if we're not led by the Spirit, then the opposite can happen. We can start you know, bringing down our own house. We can bring down our own marriage. A lot of bad things happen when we're not led by the Spirit, but it's not about all getting on the same page or homeschooling the same way or even using the same curriculum. It's about being led by the Spirit to take the diversity within our unique family setting and taking that awesome context of family, which I believe is just the, the most perfect place to not only raise kids but to train them, to educate them, and to you know, have these Deuteronomy 6 moments to teach them to love God and to build those relationships. I mean, ultimately, that's part of why relationships became such a high priority in our family. And it, there may be other families that prioritize academics. There's nothing wrong with how, what your priorities and goals and skills are. But as a family, if you're led by the Spirit, some beautiful things are going to happen. Yeah. I believe that as a mom or a dad or a parent, uh, that if you're led by the Spirit to do this amazing thing, it's because you have those talents and gifts inside of you, and it's just tapping into that for sure. And it's it's unique to your own personal self for sure. So can you give us maybe some habits that you feel like um, in your personal life have helped you be successful? I will, and you know, one of the things I'll say is I remember when we first started homeschooling, that was one of the things we were asking ourselves, is what habits do we need to change in our family to make this work? And at first, there was lots of pressure to do things like get up really early and to have a long family worship and to, to all sit down together for a meal. And those are beautiful, wonderful things to do. But then there was that point where Rachel and I realized, you know, this isn't a contest, and I don't want to become a legalistic, you know, Pharisee in this process. And so to some degree, I just want to say that I'm often hesitant to share my personal habits because I don't want anybody to hear them as, well, I could never do that, or, wow, aren't you, Mr., you know, high, high pious kind of person. And so I, I preface that to say, all of us know some areas in our life that we need to improve. And trust me, I am constantly looking at myself and saying, I've got to do better here and there and other places. So when I tell you, when I answer this question and tell you some of my habits, I am far from perfect doing it all the time. But I'm pretty close on some of these. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so Rachel and I are definitely early risers. And we go to bed early. I mean, we, when I see double digits, I'm panicking. I want to get to bed at, you know, way before, you know, at nine-something. I'm good going to bed eight-something because we'll get up early. So we get up early generally and we go to bed early, uh, but with exceptions depending on what has just happened. Uh, but then when we get up, my mornings are my favorite time of day. So when I get up, I, it's before the sun's up. I love watching the sun come up and just going really slow in the morning. I don't look at my email for two or three or four hours uh, just to spend some time in God's Word, to have a 
good, relaxed conversation with Rachel, to take a walk in my yard that I love to landscape and do yard work in, and just really just sort of be still and quiet and rest with God. And then um, I actually love to exercise, too. I'm an athlete, or an ex-athlete, I should say. <laughs> and so I love exercising, and uh, I've used many different programs, but recently I found an outdoor exercise program that I love, and they meet early in the morning you know, for people that need to exercise and get showered up before they go to work early. So it's perfect for me. And uh, uh, and so that's something I look forward to all the time is you know, getting up early, doing all that stuff, doing my outdoor exercise program, and then getting home. And then, you know, reality starts setting in, and I shower, get cleaned up. But then my morning routine ends with a good, relaxed, enjoyable breakfast with my kids and, and Rachel. So we're all sitting down together, and that's our family worship time. And we're saying, okay, what's on, what's on, you know, in front of us today? What do we know about? What do we not know about? What does God have in store for us? That are we all ready for what God has in store for us today? And that's when I'll say the work begins, and then you know, start doing all the other stuff that comes with the day. I love that. What a wonderful answer. And one of the things that I really love about being a homeschooler is that there was never that morning rush. And I think we don't need to create that in our homes, right? We don't. And that's where the relationship can really go sour, in my opinion, is is making sure that everyone is following my morning routine, um, which my morning routine is great for me, but it might not be the best for some of my children. Does that make sense? Like we allow them to have their own space and stuff. And and I really feel like um, I would have had a much better relationship with my parents if we wouldn't have had that early morning rush that so many parents have. And as homeschoolers, I think we really need to seize that morning time and slow it down and make it much more... I don't know, impactful for oh, yeah. the relationship. I love, what a great answer. <laughs> and I well, love, absolutely. Yeah. What, what you're saying, I, I, I get sad sometimes when I think of the families that are getting up early, throwing a lunch together, rushing out the door, getting mad at each other, and then finally getting them to school, and then, oh, I'm late to work, and then uh, that does not sound fun to do every day. And when, when we're homeschooling, feeling all the freedom we have, you don't have to start your day early. You can start it late if that's, if you're a night owl, if that works better for you. And I'll be honest with you, we have two teen- teenagers right now, and one of them needs a lot more sleep because he's a teenager. And so there are days we let him sleep another hour because, you know, he'll be grouchy. And it's not because he's not obeying. It's, he's a teenage who needs, and his body mm-hmm. needs to get some rest. Yeah. And just being able to do those practical things like you say, so that we don't you know, you know, include chaos or frustration in the morning or evening routine because we know our kids and we know where they're at and we can literally customize every day to them if we're paying attention. Yeah, once again, that relationship, extremely important in, in all aspects right. of our homeschooling for sure. So well, I'd love to hear long-term goals. You talked about a new book coming out and some of those things, but what are some of the things that Apologia like, has in your product pipeline. Right. So 10 years ago, Apologia was only a science company. And we added to the science line, but we also added a biblical worldview and Bible line. And then a few years ago, we added a language arts product line. Uh, Next year, we have some really big introductions uh, with where we'll have our first math and our first major history curriculum coming out. 
Uh, and so the, my long-term goal is for Apologia to be the number one publisher of five core subject areas, science, math, Bible, language, arts, and history. That's what I want to, people to think of when they think of Apologia, and all of those subjects will be, you know, biblically based. Uh, par- uh, parents and students will see God come alive and how he's been alive in all of uh, these activities and discoveries and uh, history. And, and so that, from a, a, an Apologia standpoint, that's where we're headed. That's where we're, what we're working on to develop uh, with the, the team that God has assembled so that professionally, that's what I'm uh, looking for long term. And then, you know, personally, uh, Rachel and I are at this stage in life where the grandkids are starting to come, where kids are starting to get married, and uh, we're looking forward to visiting our kids wherever they may be in the U.S. or the world, visiting the grandkids, traveling to some new places, um, and we're we're kind of in that transition right now. So it's not happening yet, but we can we can see where. This seven kids who love God, who are looking for good spouses, is leading. And it's pretty exciting right now. And I know 10 years from now, it's going to look a lot different. I'm probably going to have a few more kids married, probably have a few more grandkids, and it's going to, it's going to be really enjoyable, I believe. <laughs> I love talking to people that have been married for as long as you have and have like that perspective to them because, you know, you paint this beautiful picture of what life can look like after kind of all the the craziness you know the loudness and the, the messy house and all of that I think it's such a wonderful thing and to feel that relationship too that you've built with those kids and those grandkids just what a neat thing to look forward to for sure well and speaking about that you know leaving a legacy you kind of touched on it with Apologia just a bit but when this life is over and you want to leave that legacy what do you hope that's going to be well um you know, one of the things Rachel and I realized very early on in parenting is that all of our kids have a sin nature, just like Rachel and I, and it's ugly. And and then as they became teenagers, it comes out in a bigger, bolder, more forceful way. And sometimes it's scary because you, you feel like you're looking at yourself, <laughs> and it's very sobering. Yeah. <laughs> and the way Rachel and I worded it is, all of our kids are free agents. We could tell them about God. We could love them to the best of our ability. We could create this beautiful home environment, and they could reject God. They could reject us. They could reject their family. And that's sobering. And so in the end, you know, I really don't care if my kids are happy. I don't care if they're successful. Uh, There's a lot of things I don't care about. Ultimately, I just hope and pray that they would love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they'd have marriages that were beautiful and blessed, that they'd have kids that they would also train up to love God. Ultimately, that's all that matters. And I love questions like that because it does sort of cause us to say, what do I want to say on my deathbed? What, What do I want to make sure I'm not regretting on my deathbed? And so deathbed theologies are really good ones to stop and think about and, you know, what, what's really important. And so, and then, if, and then if we act upon that, then we might actually have a self-fulfilling prophecy to some degree, still knowing that all of our kids are free agents and they're going to make their own decisions. Um, it's, it's very satisfying when they make good ones. Uh, and, you know, parents, you know, hearts can be broken when their kids make bad decisions. 
but that's the legacy I hope and pray for, is that my kids will be seeking God and loving Him, and the same with the grandkids. Yeah. Kind of uh, the Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind, you know, with that legacy. If right. you think about that and where we want to be, it can drive our life for sure. I love it. What a great answer. <laughs> uh, before we say goodbye, do you have any final parting words for our listeners? And then give us your contact information where we can find more about you as well as Apologia. Sure. Um, so, you know, homeschooling is one of my passions. That's, I think it's come out. Family and relationships is a passion that's come out in our conversation. And when I think of the homeschooling and the homeschooling lifestyle these days, uh, homeschooling is not easy. It's scary. It's a major paradigm shift, as we talked about. But there are so many resources, so much support, so much possibility these days uh, to do it successfully and to do it well. But more, more than that, I cannot think of a better context in which to teach my kids, to educate them, to train them, to disciple them. All the things most parents would love to do, if you could build and, uh, and design the perfect place to do it, it'd be at home. It'd be with the family. And so I, I always like to say that uh, homeschooling, sometimes feels like a roller coaster ride where you are just twisting and turning and your confidence gets shaken and you just think, I can't stand it, let me off. And then every once in a while, God will give you some more grace and you'll feel like you're on the lazy river and you're just basking in the sun saying, man, I love this homeschooling lifestyle. This is so awesome. But then you're right back on the roller coaster. (laughs) And so it's an amazing adventure of lifetime. And in the end... I cannot think of a better way to teach your kids. And so if, if there was ever a time to homeschool, I believe it's right now, right here, right you know, today. Yeah. So that's, that's my parting words to folks. And um, I've I got several, i got three websites in particular that I'd give folks to find more information. Uh, one is Apologia.com. That's A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A, Apologia.com. That's a Greek word that means to defend the faith. The other is a, where our, most of our blog information is, and that's homeschool-101.com. So homeschool-101.com. And then finally, my personal blog, which is daviscarman.com. Davis is D-A-V-I-S, and Carmen is C-A-R-M-A-N.com. But that uh, uh, website has uh, information about my books. It has some videos that I've done, um, uh, some free e-books that I'd gladly give to you. You can sign up for an email list there, and I um, have all the information about my bio and so forth there. So those three websites should give you lots of information uh, about the places and work that I'm doing right now. That's great. Well, he's talking about his parting, you know, when he's giving his parting advice, I was thinking about how you were talking about, you know, sometimes our, when we're looking at our children, we're staring at ourselves in a mirror type of thing. And um, that's one of the things that I love about homeschooling is that it allows me to become a better person, you know, to, to, to see that mirror in front of me every day and then realize, wow, they are, you know, reflecting everything that I am. So I better make sure that myself is, you know, improving and working and trying to be a better person all the time. It's definitely a family adventure for sure. 
Again, we've been chatting with international speaker and advocate Davis Carmen. He's the owner of Apologia, which you can find at Apologia.com. He's got a great blog called homeschool-101.com. And you can find his personal website at DavisCarmen.com. However, we're going to be sure to link all that information that we've discussed today on our website as well. But thank you so much, Davis, for joining us and helping to light our minds on fire on this really important topic of education. I appreciate it. Thank you, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure and a joy uh, having a conversation with you. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Davis Carmen, go to our show notes at theluminousmind.net. Be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list and help us continue production of illuminating content by sponsoring us at patreon.com forward slash theluminousmind. To get exclusive content, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Google+, Pinterest, and now Instagram. To help us grow, consider these easy ways. Tell your friends about us, leave us a review, share our content. Tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education. 